In Session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolaku, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Before uh, I started, wanted to just uh, mention how saddened we are by the news in Iran of the flooding that has affected, unfortunately, so many people and taken the lives of at least 30 individuals. Um, it's heartbreaking, I'm sure. Uh, all of you have seen images, videos, pictures of the devastation th- there. And of course, we send our thoughts and prayers, but also we ask that anyone that can help does help in whatever ways they can. There's lots of charities and organizations and funds that are accepting donations to help the people that have been affected and our thoughts and prayers to all of those who have been affected, either themselves or family members or friends, have been. And we, we wish for the best for everyone there. It's never a good time, but especially right after Noruza, we were very saddened to see this. And we are hoping for the best for them all. Um, and I wanted to start the show off today talking about uh, related to helping others, a story that has that same sentiment. Um, I came across this story about a week or two ago about an eight-year-old homeless boy in the New York area who was a Nigerian refugee who had become the state champion in chess uh, in New York and was a very touching story to see how he had just learned how to play about a year ago and he was homeless, living in a homeless shelter with his family, but that he learned how to play chess through his uh, program at the school where Actually, they very kindly waived the fee so that he could be in the program, and he seemed to have a knack for it and also, I'm sure, worked very hard and became great and good enough to beat everyone in the state for his age group, which is remarkable. And his name, which is very hard uh, for me to say, and I've only read it, so I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, uh, Tanutolua Adwumi, and he goes by Tani, I believe, yeah. That might be easier for me to say. But so Tani is an eight-year-old boy. And so this uh, article appeared. I first saw it in the New York Times, and then I saw he was getting a lot of media coverage. And there is, if you want to call it a happy ending, although it's not an end yet, but developments in the story where a GoFundMe page was created and was shared on that article. And I even gave a few dollars to it. And over $200,000 was raised in a very short amount of time for Tani and his family which is wonderful. Um, And so before I get into what happened, and it's even more uplifting to me what happened after what the family has decided to do with this money, I can have mixed feelings when I see stories like this. Uh, Of course, I was very touched by the story, and every time I see his picture, I smile, uh, or even get tears in my eyes when you see the family sitting together, uh, him holding his trophy for being the champion. It's very touching. 
Um, and then, of course, people's outpouring of support. And even I did donate myself, as I mentioned, just a few dollars, but just wanted to contribute something because I said I felt I cared for him. So I'm like, let me see what I could do as small as a gesture as it was. But then what I get saddened by is when I realize there are so many other kids like Tanny who won't get any publicity or won't get any attention and also won't get any help or support. Or put another way, um, it's a reminder that there is or there is this big problem where there are so many children and families like this family who are experiencing homelessness or struggling in some way, but that usually don't get any support and help or don't get enough support and help. And so sometimes stories like this, you'll read of a boy or a kid or someone getting a lot of attention and then an outpouring of support and money a lot of times uh, for that one person. And in a way, it's nice, but sometimes it can feel that we're giving so much to one person and we're ignoring everyone else. Or really, to me, it's a reminder that it should be something that society is taking care of, not uh, we need to individually do charity work to fund people in this way. So that's what I felt when I saw this story. And even when I was seeing the GoFundMe page and seeing how much money was being raised for this boy and his family, it was very touching and sweet, but a reminder that there's so many others that need support but don't get it. And unfortunately, in the United States especially, helping the poor um, or helping people who are homeless uh, is very much a political issue. It, it can clearly define whether you're on the right or the left, Democrat or Republican, where for me, it, it shouldn't be a political issue. It's much more a human rights issue. No one should be homeless and living in the streets. And if you look at the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, it says that that's one of the basic human rights is housing and food and shelter and, and even health care is a basic human right. And I fully agree with that, that everyone should be entitled to that. And then we as a society should be providing that, not we find out and about someone and we decide to help that one person and we feel good about it. And I think that's what happens a lot of times with these stories is we have a big problem and we like uh, homelessness here in the United States and children who are homeless and we connect to one of them because we hear their story somehow. It's inspiring, motivating, or gets highlighted in some way. And then we help that one person and somehow we pat ourselves on the back and say, okay, well, we've, we've done our duty or we've done something good and we move on. But to me, this is not enough and not something we should accept and just feel good about. Yes, the story is touching and feels good to read, but I hope it's a reminder of how much more we need to do and how many more people we need to help. I shared a story, I think it was last year, maybe even more than a year ago, a very, again, it's a very sweet story about a police officer who was called to a shoe store um, to arrest the girl was maybe 12, 11, 13, something around that, for stealing shoes. And she said she was stealing shoes for her baby brother. And so the police officer said he could not comfortably arrest or, you know, whatever they do with the 12-year-old, I don't even know, but giving them some kind of citation. And instead, he went home with this girl, and he started to use some of his own money and also fellow police officers to help support this family. And it's very sweet. And I feel like everyone reads those stories and thinks, this is great. This is wonderful. How touching, how kind. But again, I'm always struck by this idea that why are we so opposed to helping people as a society when we accept it that this police officer, who probably doesn't make that much money himself, is taking some money out of his salary to help this family? It seems like almost everyone agrees with that or feels good that, yes, this 
girl who's stealing shoes for her baby brother, that baby boy should have shoes. They shouldn't have to steal for it. And getting some support and love and toys and whatever else they got. No one is against that. But people can be so against helping people in general, helping the poor. And I think what happens is when we see them or see any group as a them, we feel detached from them. It's us and them. It's the poor people. It's the this people. And sometimes in the media, to make it easier not to help people, they'll have these narratives of the people that are wasting our money and don't want to work or want to pretend like they're poor to take money so we shouldn't feel bad for them or want to help them. But then as soon as we see one of them up close and we are humanizing an individual, we feel like, of course, they deserve help. Of course, they don't deserve to suffer. So I would hope we keep that mindset and realize that people who are suffering are not some other, are not some them. Um, and even, you know, what's so sad about happening in Iran and Shiraz and surrounding cities, we could feel a connection to them because we see them as hamvatan, as people from our culture, our background. We're the same as them. And there is that feeling. I, I understand that. But I hope that we see all people suffering and ask how can we help them and not ignore them or neglect them and think they are some other. All people are deserving of the basics and deserving of help, and we should all hopefully help one another and see each other as one human family, not uh, so different. But coming back to the story of Tani and his family, so um, $200,000 was raised in a very short amount of time, and other people donated or uh, wanted to donate in other ways as well. But this family, I was so touched that um, they decided that they were not going to use that $200,000 themselves. They decided that they would give 10% of it to the church, which helped them when they were homeless a lot, and they thought they would want to uh, pay them back in that way or to show that gratitude. But the rest of the money would go to a foundation that they developed to help other African-American or African, sorry, immigrants who are struggling in the United States the way that they were, uh, as they put it, just a week ago. Everything happened so fast in this story. And his father says he's a hardworking guy himself, and he has two jobs, and he's going to try to support themselves. Um, they have accepted an apartment that someone anonymously donated and paid a year's rent for them. So now they're living in, there's, in that home. And there's a very sweet quote from Tanny, the eight-year-old boy, where he says, I have a home, I have a home. And later on, he says how he wants to have his mom's cooking again, which is so sweet. But you can see how, because they were homeless, they didn't really have that opportunity for even his a mom to cook for him or to have like a home-cooked meal together. But um, they've accepted that home, but they've decided to keep that money to help other people. And Tani himself, this eight-year-old boy, uh, when he asked if he was okay with them not using the money, he says, I want to help other kids. I don't mind, which is very sweet. This eight-year-old boy does not want so much as for himself. He wants to help other people. So this was a, a very touching story. And I must say I was very touched that although they themselves are experiencing poverty, they did not take this money for themselves. They are using some of the donations like the home and other things to help them get on their feet, which is what I think we always should be doing is supporting people so that they can stand on their own uh, feet and take care of themselves. But very, uh, I think, kindly, they've decided not to take that money. And so this story to me felt even better seeing how they responded. And I don't know if I was in that same situation. I would be able to be that generous or selfless. Um, but again, I think it's important for us to keep in mind that when people are suffering and we hear the story of one person, we don't want to forget the rest. 
And there's a human tendency that when there's a problem we can't solve or a problem seems too big, we just want to give up. Sometimes people call this the collapse of compassion. If we hear about one hungry kid who is downstairs, we'll say, oh, of course, let's all go get him some food and feed him. But if we find out there's 10,000 kids and we feel like we won't be able to feed all of them, we might just give up because it seems like it's too big of a problem to solve. And I hope we can keep in mind that we don't need to solve any problem all at once or all by ourselves and that any act of kindness or helping is a positive act and makes a difference. You don't have to solve a problem completely on your own or see it as even solvable to want to help and to help someone out. Even if we could make someone's days a little bit more comfortable for a short period of time, that's worth something. And so I hope you'll read this story of Tani, the eight-year-old homeless boy who I guess now does have a home, um, but who is the state champion in New York, this eight-year-old boy. Very touching story, but to also keep in mind uh, helping others and being there for other people and to our um, brothers and sisters in Iran who are struggling. I hope you can help them. Anyone who can support them in any way, please do so. And of course, anyone else you can help. To me, the new year is a great time to celebrate, be around friends, family, and loved ones, and also to be grateful for what you have and to want to help others as well. So I hope people make some kinds of commitments to helping other people in whatever ways they can in this new year. So I hope you'll check out that story in the New York Times. Um, the most recent one I read was Our Chess Champion Has a Home. It's by Nicholas Kristoff. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. We'll be right back. back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, hello. Yes, hi. Hi. Hello. Uh, uh, I was wondering if I can get uh, one of your wonderful advices about my daughter who is 18 years old. Um, she goes to college. She studies at college. But in terms of socializing, um, she's a big fool. She doesn't have any friends around herself, and, uh, and it looks like uh, she can't socialize with her own age. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what can I do to help her to like get socialized more active in socializing with her own age? Please. Okay, is is she your only child? No, she's the second one at home, and uh, she's got older brother who is very socialized and, like, has lots of friends, um, mm -hmm. and we don't have any problem with him. Okay. But now we don't necessarily have a problem with her either, and we don't want to create a problem. because So this is something that comes up with a lot of um, families, and it's something I've talked about on the show recently. Now, if what's most important is how your daughter feels about her social life. So if she tells you, Mom, I wish I had more friends. Mom, I feel lonely. Mom, I don't feel good. That's very important. But it's possible your son and your daughter are just different, where one of them might be more what we call extroverted, meaning more outgoing in a way and wants to talk to other people, wants to interact with other people. And your daughter might be 
more introverted. She might be a little bit more quiet or even sometimes we use the word shy, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. People are, are different. So the way you're saying we have a problem with her, we want to first make sure, is it she who feels there's a problem? Does she not like how things are? Or is it something that you have an expectation from her to be a certain way that she's supposed to socialize in a certain way? Uh, yes. Uh, about that, sometimes she says, Mom, I'm too lonely, I don't have any friends. But then she says, to be honest, I don't care. I've got you, I've got Dad, I've got my brother. And But I'm not sure if it's normal to say things like that. I don't care if I don't have any friends. Or, um, I mean, do I have to get worried or do I have to do something? about it well we you know if she goes back and forth like that we want to try to really understand is it that she really doesn't care or she says that in those moments just to try to make herself feel better or um you know not yeah. feel down and so that's why we want to make sure we don't put a pressure on her when you bring it up because if you ask her too strongly in a way of, don't you think you should have more friends? Don't you think you should go out more? Then, of course, at times she's going to have to get defensive to make sure uh, either to take care of you or to make sure she doesn't look bad. So we don't want to put a pressure on her even in how she responds. It's up to her to tell us what she likes and doesn't like. And we don't want to in either way pressure her that she should have more friends, less friends. It's okay. It's not okay. We want to let her tell you. But from what I've heard from you already, you might put a pressure on her that she should have more friends. So that's something I want you to be aware of and how you even said, oh, with our older son, we have no problems. But then as if with her, there's this big problem, which to me, I don't know if there's a problem yet. We can talk more about what's going on, but we don't want to just assume that because she has less friends than her brother or she's less sociable than her brother, something is wrong. Uh, but um, uh, the thing is, she can't socialize with her own age people. Mm -hmm. That's worrying me. Okay. Has she always been that way? Uh, well, when she was younger, she was better. But at teenage years, she gets worse and she kind of, she couldn't um, uh, socialize with her own ages, even though, uh, like, we're taking her in different places to get socialized or like scouts or places like that. But at the end of the day, when she was coming out, she had an argument with another girl or another boy. And uh, uh, I tried to help her out by telling her, you have to act like this. When someone tells you something, you don't like it. Sometimes you have to ignore it. Sometimes you have to think about it. Uh, and uh, things like that. But mm -hmm. now uh, she's on her own. It looks like it's the college. When she goes to college, I ask her, do you go out at lunch break to have, like, lunch with your friends? No, Mom, sometimes, just sometimes I go out with this, only with sister and then come back to college. Uh, and that's it. When she comes home, she stays home in her room, like with her computer and the only people I think she can socialize is her relatives and ourselves, okay. her own family. So, okay. So you were saying that she would get into lots of arguments with 
her friends or people she could be friends with? Was that yes. a common pattern? Uh, well, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. Does she get into a lot of arguments with you? Now, no, when she was younger, yes, but now she stopped it and she tries to, like, understand what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. or sometimes she doesn't accept, sometimes she accepts, but at least she doesn't, she, I mean, she's much better in terms of arguing right now. Okay. So, but, okay, so we, what we want to figure out is what's going on. Is she depressed and upset or down, and so she's not putting herself out there, not socializing? Is she actually okay with how things are? We want to get a better understanding of that. And so the more you ask her, how much are you socializing, what's going on, and you put a pressure on her about that, the harder it's going to be for you to understand really what she's going through, which I don't think you know if she's really depressed and down or if she's okay and likes her life the way it is, but it's just not something you're used to. Right now, she's okay with it, because she thinks the way she thinks uh, but it's supports his family, and that's enough for me. Can you speak a little bit more into the phone? We sometimes lose your the, the voice a little bit. Oh, sorry, I'll move somewhere else then. No, no, that's okay. Just the where your uh, the phone is, I think, to your mouth. It was just, it gets faint at times. So yes. she says, I just want to spend time with the family. I don't need to have friends. I've got my family, and I don't need any friends. Uh, I'm okay with this. So it's, I'm okay with it, too, to be honest. Okay. Uh, but the thing is, when her brother goes out, she gets upset, and she says, well, I'm lonely. I don't have anyone to go out with. Yeah. So yeah, that's I why I don't think when she says, I don't need any friends, she really means it. Hmm. And that's why I'm wondering if it's a way of making you feel like she's okay or if it's trying to convince herself of something. And I'm not saying tell her she's lying. I don't think she is. I think she wants to be okay with it, but it seems like she's not okay. And exactly. Yeah. So we first want to – we're not going to figure out how to make friends for her, especially at her age. But what I would say is to pay attention to how comfortable you make it for her to tell you how she's feeling or if she's not okay. Uh, no, she's so comfortable to talk to me about anything at all. I mean, anything she wants to talk to me, she comes to me and says, Mom, I need to talk to you. And okay. I listen to her, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. I try to, like, give her, like, parenting advice. Uh, okay. And yeah. so that's... But the problem is, so I'm still confused. Like, what do you see as the problem? She doesn't. She wants to have more friends. She can't make friends, or uh, uh, no. But the thing is, uh, she feels, in terms of having friends, it's. I think it's important for her, and sometimes she thinks I'm very lonely. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to tell her you're not lonely, but um, well, I wouldn't I, tell her what she's feeling. So if she's, I, I wouldn't tell her what she's feeling because you're saying she tells me she's lonely. I tell you, her she's not lonely. We want to let her, if she says she's lonely, that's, she can tell us. It's just like if she tells you she's cold, you can't tell her you're not cold. So 
if we're going to let her have her space to have her feelings, that means we have to hear her. So if she says, I'm lonely, why do you tell her she's not lonely? Uh, well, because I want her to be secure. I don't want her to go out and meet anyone in the street and get, like, become friends with them. Right, but that means you're trying to deny her feeling, and that doesn't take it away. That just makes it so she won't tell you about it or she'll try to deny it. That's So that's what I was saying. I know you're saying she tells you everything, and it's, it seems like you do have an open relationship with her. And she comes and talks to you, and that's good. But it does seem like you also try to minimize her problems, or because of your own anxiety, you might try to convince her she doesn't have a feeling or a problem, and that's what I'm more concerned about. So if she comes and tells you, Mom, I'm lonely, parent, you know, I think you said something about parental advice. Your advice isn't to tell her she's not lonely. Your yeah. first step is to understand and help her understand. Oh, you're lonely? What are you feeling? Get her to tell you more about that. What do you mean when you say you're lonely? What would you like to have? Because your fear that, okay, if she thinks she's lonely, she'll go make a friend that's a bad friend or a bad relationship. She's more likely to do that if she doesn't understand what she's feeling. She'll be more likely to go in a bad direction that way than if she understands, oh, I'm lonely. Yeah, maybe I can do something about it. Or maybe this is what's going on. And let's see what I can do rather than, no, you're not lonely. So, yes, go ahead. Sorry. No, I wanted to hear what you, because it seemed like you had, you know, when she brings that up to me, I, I'm still, you know, do you get what I'm saying, that you're not letting her feel her yes. feelings? Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, I understand what you're saying. Uh, uh, you know, so let me tell you, like, another analogy. It's like, again, going back to that cold, it's like you're saying, you know, she tells me she's cold. I don't want to, I tell her, no, she's not cold because I'm afraid she's going to go buy an expensive jacket. You know, oh, but it doesn't yes, take away yes. the feeling. The feeling is there, and we want to help her understand. But yes, go ahead. So, uh, do you think if I go myself to a psychologist and talk to the psychologist, then they can help me out, and I can help my daughter? Do you think it can solve the problem? Or well, what's, what, here's the thing. Yes. When you say solve the problem, what's the problem? That she doesn't have uh, friends? She doesn't have friends. She okay. Can't socialize you know what i mean she can't she can't have friends she can't like um when she meets someone uh it looks like she annoys people around herself mm -hmm. so that's what i'm trying to understand and uh, uh i'm trying to help her right and the first part understanding is probably is what you can give her more than helping her and even if you go to a therapist I, i'm always in favor of people going but i'd want you to go more to help yourself not okay. to help her you might okay. be able to have some effect she's 18 and you can have an effect but it's more that you can feel better about yourself and how, how you interact with her which might have an impact but if she wants to go to therapy that's going to be more how she'll help herself and we okay. can't force her to go or we don't want to make her feel like she's a problem and she has to go. But that's something you can explore with her. And that's why I'm saying when she brings up I'm lonely, rather than taking it away or trying to convince her she's not, I'd want you to stay with her. Let her tell you she's lonely. Let her tell you why, what she's going through. Help her explain to you what she think is the, thinks is the problem. And then she's actually even more likely to want to get help. But if you try to convince her there's no problem, well, then, of course, why would she go get help 
if you don't think there's a problem. So even in getting her to see someone herself, it'll be a lot more likely to happen if you stay with her. She says, you know, for example, it's not this situation. If someone comes and says, I'm depressed, and we tell them, no, 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 you're not depressed. You're happy or you just had a bad day. Well, we're not encouraging them to go get help that way. But if they say, I'm depressed, you say, oh, really? Tell me more. Wow, it sounds really hard. It sounds like you're going through a tough time. Do you think it might help to talk to someone? And then they might go get help. But if we try to convince them there's no problem, we're going to push them away from getting help. So if anything, we want to not tell her it's worse than it is, but at least let her tell us how bad it is, how much pain she's in. And then from there, it might be beneficial for her to see a therapist because it does seem like you, you might be right. She has a hard time making friends. She might have a hard time interacting with people. You said before she would get angry with people. She might have a hard time um, keeping other people in mind. So it's hard for her to have a friendship because she is inside of her own head and sees things in her own way, but not in the other person's perspective. So she doesn't you know, balance that very well. Something could be missing where she has a hard time making friendships and making forming relationships. And so that it could be helpful for her to explore that. But I don't want you to think your job is to fix it. You, you can't fix it. All you can do is be there for her, uh, talk to her, support her. But I, she has to help herself. And maybe even she'll have to get her own help. Has she ever seen a therapist before? Uh, no, not really. No. Okay. But when, when she was very young, she was seen by one, and the psychologist uh, told me she, she was like 11 years old, mm -hmm. and he told me that um, I need to tell her like what to do, what not to do, like in a certain uh, stage, and then... When she gets older, she'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, I tried to do that, and I saw the outcome of it, uh, which, which is good. Uh, but... You know, even hearing that the, the psychologist said that, um, it, it could be that she was in the home, the, or the psychologist noticed that your daughter was not getting enough feedback from you guys about what was okay and not okay. And so sometimes parents think that, I want to be a good parent and make my kid always feel okay or always feel like they, they're not doing anything wrong. But then we, we don't teach them the way that the world really works is that, you know, what you want matters, but other people are going to want different things and you have to have empathy for them too. So it could be hard for your daughter to put herself in the other person's shoes. And so it's hard for her to have a relationship because she might be too much in her own head. And there could be other things going on, but just based on that story... It could be that you guys were not giving her enough consequences or enough clear direction and boundaries for her to see what's okay and what's not okay. So then when she would go with her friends, she would have these big fights because she couldn't handle things not going her way. And that's what can happen a lot of times is with the parents, they always make it their way and they feel good. But then when they go interact with their peers, it's not going to be always the kid's way. And that's why we don't want to always give them exactly what they want to show them that that's not how the world works or you just get whatever you want from whoever you want. You always play the game you want. You always, uh, you know, have everything go your way. So th there could be something there where she has a hard time forming a relationship where there is a back and forth or there's equality. But especially when it comes to you, I would say make sure you're not um, minimizing her feelings and allow her to share that she's upset or she's sad or whatever she's going through. And hopefully we can encourage her to talk to someone about it, and then she'll be able to help herself. But there's only so much that you can do. You can't really help her or try to fix this for her. Okay. 
All right. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for calling. Best of luck. Take care. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached a commercial break. We'll be right back. back let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hi there hi. Um, I'm, I'm calling regarding uh, my kids and particularly my nine-year-old boy okay uh we i have uh, three kids uh my main issue i have a baby that's one and i have two boys that are nine and six okay okay so i have a lot of sibling rivalry issues that I wanted to talk to you about, mm -hmm. and also I wanted to get advice on how to discipline my nine-year-old. I'm having a lot of respect issues, and I, I feel like he's starting to act like a teenager, and he's, he's starting to be disrespectful towards his family, his brother, his parents. And uh, just wanted to get your advice on how to deal with all of this. Okay, sure. Go ahead. Uh, so my my first one, he my older one, he constantly is putting down my second child, and my second child is very sensitive, mm -hmm. and I also feel like he is he is uh, bashing his confidence, and uh, I'm constantly victimizing the second one because of that, and I know it's not good to do that, but I always find myself defending the second child because of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want this to continue. I need this to stop. I also uh, want to, I don't want it to continue and get worse as he grows into his teenage years. And I just feel like I'm having power struggles with the first one. And um, it's kind of, it's getting in the way of our relationship. It's making me feel bad feelings towards my first son. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to feel that way. Sure. Yeah, that's, and that's what happens when we create a power struggle, power dynamic. You, no one wins. It just becomes a constant battle. So, you, you know, it never never ends. And I'm sure you want that to stop. And clearly you're under a lot of stress when you're saying you just need it to stop immediately. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're telling me your nine-year-old is putting the six-year-old down. Yeah. Oftentimes this can be a reflection of the nine-year-old not feeling very good about himself within the home. By the way, I don't know if the radio is on. We're getting some echo. Let me, hold on a second. Let me get you. Is that better? I think so. Let's see. Yes. Okay. 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 So, so we want to, you know, as always, I, I tell parents, it's, it's so difficult, especially in the moment, but we always want to be curious to what is driving our child's behavior, really anyone, but especially with our kids. And so if he's being mean to the six-year-old, of course, we don't want to accept that and we can... Uh, put limits to it and even potential consequences but we want to not let him we want to make sure he knows it's not okay but we want to see what might be driving that it could be that he's not feeling very good and that's unfortunately the the struggle that you're in right now is that because he's acting out you're probably giving him more negative attention which makes him feel even worse which Definitely. might make him feel like he needs to bash the six-year-old more so he can somehow shine or to feel better about himself or to put the six-year-old down and then it just becomes intensified and you're that's stuck. All, that's all he's doing. Getting is negative attention yeah. from me because he's constantly telling the younger one, "You're not as good in basketball as I am. You're mm -hmm. not. You're not smart. You're not this. You're slow." 
Because my son, my older son, he's very fast. He's very quick. He's very, as they say in Farsi, they say very zerang. Mm-hmm. He's very street smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gets things done quickly. He's very, very confident about himself and his skills about everything he does. So that part of it, because I see that he's very confident, I don't give him, I don't try to do anything extra to give him that extra confidence because I'm constantly trying to discipline him. Well, yeah, and the thing is, even in hearing that, I get that um, we think the attention comes from, like, the good things they do, and it's very difficult when you have three kids, including one that's a baby, but we have to give the kids this feeling of love that's an in a way, an unconditional that they're just valuable just for being them, not because they're fast or smart or got an A or did good work, but that we just love them as parents because they are them, that they just are mm-hmm. there. Now, it doesn't mean we say that anything they do is okay, but the love is always there. And so um, your nine-year-old can get that positive feedback from you, not, oh, you did so good, you're so good at this, but a feeling of love that you are you care about him and are interested in the things that he's doing, no matter what he's doing. And mm-hmm. that has to be outside of performance because it, there is something that you're saying that ties in attention and love to performance, which most people feel and happens in most families. And we don't want it to get tied into that way. It doesn't matter if you're smarter than your six-year-old brother or faster than him. We, we love both of you. That's not, and in some ways you might not say it so explicitly, you might have to at times, but you want to show them that. It's that not that because you got an A, we're going to love you more today than we did yesterday when you didn't get an A. We love you always, and we might work on this or that, but we're not going to, it doesn't make a difference to us, those things, as much as, as far as how much love we give you. Just like the baby, the baby's being a baby. You don't base uh, her love based on performance. It's just for being there, right? And so it we want the kids to do that as yes, a parent sure. when, when, uh, I'm feeling these feelings towards my son, like when I'm I, when I feel like he's sure. he's hurting the younger one. I I I feel like I'm gonna have to fake it to do that. And I don't want you to fake it. By so I don't want you to say that was great when you you know insulted your younger brother or I love you so much when you do that. You can even tell him you're upset with him that he does that. Your love is always there, but you can be upset or not like something he did. And I know it's hard for a child to get that, and I can get that it's difficult. And, uh, you know, being a parent of one child is hard enough. Being a parent of multiple children is so difficult because of these types of issues. How do you, first of all, you're only one person and you're trying to split your time with, between these three kids. And again, a baby's going to need more of your actual time and attention. But to love them in a way that they all feel loved when they're all different, too. That's what makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. And so it's not easy by any means uh, to, to get this to happen. And I do want to get into more exactly what you're doing, but as far as the family dynamics go, um, is uh, is your husband involved with the kids? How, how how are things in that regard? He is involved, but he also works a lot. Okay. So I find myself alone with the three of them most of the time. I'm, I'm pretty much the main handler of the kids. Okay, well, that itself is a problem um, because, again, there's only finite time that two of you would have, but especially with one of you. And it would be great if they were getting more attention from their dad, especially as boys. They're going to want that even more, and especially the he, oldest he one. He does lay down with them every night before they go to bed, and they, okay. you know, they have that time together. So the tuck-in time is covered by him most of the time. So that part of it, they get to spend that quality time. Well, that's good. And I mean, it, now I'd want to put a label isn't enough, like there is a certain amount, but there could be more that he needs, especially mm-hmm. the oldest one. So 
Mm-hmm. You're saying he works a lot, so it tells me he's not home that much. And the tuck-in time is great, but it could be that that's almost all they get in a weeknight because if he gets home late enough, a lot of times in families we'll see where there isn't much but the the good night routine. So there isn't a lot of connecting happening. Mm-hmm. How are things between you and your husband? There, the, It's fine, but there's a lot of stress right now because we're remodeling. So there's a lot of, everybody's just tense. Yeah, okay. So some of your your son's anger is probably a reflection of that as well. You know, he's yeah. feeling that tension and it's and you guys are probably being more tense with them and it's just creating a tense environment so it's mm-hmm. also and this isn't that this is going to solve it but an understanding of what's going on and where he's coming from and he, he seems like he's angry obviously in the way you describe it and it's hard for you not to uh to feel something about the way he's treating your other boy who you love of course as mm-hmm. well and then another thing you want to look at um for yourself is your own family Yourself, where were you as far as the kids go? Um, Middle child. Middle child, okay. So there could be a way that you connect to that your own middle child in a way that can be related to your own past and how you felt as a middle child. How did you feel as the middle child? I I didn't feel like I had middle child issues. Okay. I, um, I was okay. I didn't feel like I was ignored. I felt like I had enough attention. But, I mean, I would get into arguments here and there with my sister, but, but my older sister, but she wasn't putting me down like the way, the way I see my older son is putting down my middle son. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you still might feel this connection to him, a kinship with um, him as the middle child. And, again, it does seem like if your older son is putting him down, you, of course, have to feel something and have to respond. But just being aware of that as well, that we almost always consciously or unconsciously will we'll live out some of our own childhood with our kids. And we want to, of course, be as aware as we can to limit and minimize that. But there could be some of that going on as well. Your your older son might even feel that, that you are somehow mm-hmm. connected to the middle one in a way. Now, when I asked about you and your husband, you said there's a lot of stress in the home, but you didn't specify what's going on between you and him. How are things with you and him? They're fine. Things with us are fine. It's just stressful with workers coming in and out and and uh, with things with the house, but our relationship is good. Okay. Is there a lot of time for the relationship? Uh, yes, there's enough time because we put our kids down around 8 o'clock and mm-hmm. we have the rest of the night together. Okay. And how does he feel about how your son is doing or how is he involved with either the discipline that you've mentioned or how things are going? way he agrees that we may want to seek therapy for for this and we don't want to put him through therapy we thought that maybe we would we would reach out to someone and, mm-hmm. and see if we can just get advice parenting advice on how to deal with this situation yeah that might be a good start to go in the two of you and then even eventually family therapy might be beneficial and that way it won't single him out either um, and mm-hmm. really I don't just say that um, oh, let's not single him out because we don't want to make him feel bad. But usually I th- looking at the family as a system is more realistic or a uh, more accurate way of looking at what's going on. Because I don't see your son as just a problem or the problem. He's somehow expressing some dynamics that are going on within the home. Yeah, and we really want to try to get to the source of why he's angry. We want to get to the source of of why are you, I mean, he, he's, he's angry when we, for example, when we don't have any plans for the day, 
he's very nervous. He's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We need to make plans. He wants to, he gets, he, he finds happiness in us buying things for him. That's what's important to him versus my younger one. He, he's, he finds happiness in just having us listen to him and spending time with him. They're very different. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I don't know where the source is coming from. That's what I'm trying to get to. And yeah, uh, it's, it's very confusing. Sure. Well, and, and the source is probably not going to be like this one thing that we find and, you know, we remove that and everything's going to be okay. We do want to understand it better. And even in what you're saying, it does seem like you feel like your younger son is more like you guys than the older one. Yeah. I mean, he has he has his things, too, where he he's a very great kid and very easygoing, and then all of a sudden he he gets hard-headed about an issue and and won't just like this morning he wouldn't want to he my my older son rushed him and he said you know what i'm not gonna go to school today and and he starts you know he just lays down and he the middle son rushed him or the older the older son rushes the middle son okay and it to the today it really got to the point where where he kept rushing him and rushing him and the old and the younger son was was he got sensitive about it again. He's like, you know what, I'm not going to go to school or I'm going to be very extremely slow so you don't get to school in time. And and my older son had some, some important tests going on today, so he got really upset and he got really stressed out to the point that he started crying. Mm-hmm. And then my husband, usually I take the kids to school, and I told him, listen, I'm not going to take you guys to school twice today. I'm going once because we live close to our school. And and my husband saw this was escalating, and my older son was getting upset, so he quickly got dressed. He's like, come on, I'll take you to school. <laughs> and he took him to school, and, and, and he came back, and then I took the younger one to school like five minutes later, literally. Yeah. And, uh, and, and but it was so, very chaotic. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it was a stressful morning. But when I hear you say that story, it, it seemed like you were presenting it as your older son being hard-headed. But I didn't hear the story that way. The younger son was being hard okay, got this it. Okay, morning. Okay. Yes, but, I see. But he, my, the older son was escalating it as well because he kept rushing him and he sure. and he wanted to get to school in time. Which so, we can understand. I'm not saying, I don't know how he was rushing him, but he was stressed out about these tests. And I was going to say, you mentioned anger and anxiety and anger can go together and your son might be an anxious child the oldest one the middle one might be too the way you said he's sensitive but he he's probably anxious and so he has these tests and he's really stressed out about wanting to get to school on time and so we can understand him getting frustrated or getting more anxious and feeling like his younger brother is slowing him down and he got upset and it created chaos in the home but i think we can understand what your older son was going through yeah, I, I could understand it too. Okay. I could understand it too. But in the in, d- during that process, he put him down a bunch of times. You're so slow. I wish I didn't have a brother. I mm-hmm. wish you didn't go to my school. You're so slow. You embarrass me. Like all of these things. Like throughout the the yeah, that's, minutes of them getting and, ready. And those things, I would let him know. You know, that those things are not okay to say. And I would try to get back to what your son is feeling, which is. I know, you know, I understand you're frustrated. I know you're, you're anxious about your tests. And so you're frustrated. And I, I can understand that. So reflecting back what your older son is feeling um, and making sure he feels that you get him. Do you think you guys gave him that, that you can understand that he was upset? Yes. This morning we did. 
Okay. How did you guys do that? We did that by having my husband take him to school. I haven't had a talk with him about it because they, you know, they rushed out this Right. Morning, but, but that was once, and, and, and this is not to uh, finger point that you guys didn't do it right, but that was the solution, which is good. That was the tangible part. But I'm saying more first the empathizing part of understanding. Okay. You know, there was you, no time. There was okay. no time. But the way you're describing it, this happened, unfolded in a few minutes. So I'm saying within those minutes, and I know it's easier said than done. Uh, I'm sitting here in the air-conditioned studio, very relaxed, and it's easy for me to say say these things, have time for empathy, all of those things. But something just to keep in mind in general is to make sure you're making your older son feel like you understand him, that I can understand you. We're so You're so stressed out about your tests. And now this is something you guys can talk about. Next time you have a few big tests, maybe he gets nervous. And so maybe it's important that we plan those mornings a little bit better or even plan that your dad does take you earlier so you don't have to worry if that's something that's feasible for you guys. But to show him that his feelings really matter, that those emotions are important, that it makes sense. Now we can even say, we know you were upset and we didn't like that you said those things to your brother. And you could even get into helping him see how do you think he felt when you said those things. Not in a way of really shaming him, but trying to understand and give him a little bit of that empathy, but not to, to show him where we understand you were frustrated. We want to really make sure he feels that it was okay that he felt that way. His behavior we don't like, but the feeling we understand. We want to mm-hmm. give him that feeling. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a good tool. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's something I would always recommend is you say yes to the feeling. It's also, there's a book, No Drama Discipline, Daniel Siegel uh, he, he'll talk about this concept of we can always say yes to the feeling even if we say no to the behavior or the request. A kid can say, I want to go uh, outside at 11 p.m. You say, you know, I understand you want to play. I can get that feeling of wanting to play, but I can't let you go right now. So we can say no to that. Um, but we always want to show that we understand them. And so your son, probably the older one, doesn't feel like you guys really get him or that mm-hmm. you guys care about how he feels. And you call the middle one sensitive. I think the older one is pretty sensitive in his own way. And I don't want to even use those labels, but they might have different feelings. But just because the older one might act out more, we feel like he's stronger or he can handle it more. And the younger one might be more holding it in. And so we feel like we have to defend him more. But they both are in need of emotional support from you guys. Okay. And how would you go about uh, disciplining when they're using bad language? I think let's, he's doing yeah, you know, that's more an important, attention. Yeah, let's talk about that after we're actually kind of over uh, time for a oh. commercial break. So let's hold on line. Let's talk after the break about that, okay? Okay, thanks. All right. We'll be right back. Back before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, so uh, we were talking about okay. your kids, especially your nine-year-old son. You have a six-year-old son and a one-year-old. I'm assuming girl because you said the other two are boys. Yes. Okay, but uh, before the break, you were mentioning um, what to do when your oldest son uses bad language, right? Yes. Okay, so tell me a bit more. Uh, because we're on the air, you can't use the specific bad language, but give us an idea of what's going on. He will, he will, for example, he's watching TV, mm-hmm. and then he turns off the TV, and he wants to be heard, so he'll just come out and just say something random and just yell it out so that he can get a reaction out of me. Like uh, profanity? Yes. Okay. 
Yes. Related so, to what he wants, or just he just yells out, blurts out something? He just yells it out. He just says it. And I say we don't use that kind of language in our house. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes he'll talk back. Sometimes he'll he'll just continue. Um, I feel like it's another way of him trying to get my attention, but in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Which uh, we don't want to reinforce, but that also tells us that he feels like he can't get your attention in a positive way. Not because you won't actually give it to him, but maybe there isn't enough. So, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to be aware of that. In the moment, yes, you have to respond to him using the bad language. And, and um, you could even express to him, it seems like you're upset or it seems like you're angry, but that's not an okay way for us to talk. Um, but just I want you to be aware of that, too, that it probably means he's not getting enough attention. So he's at least I can get it. This is a guaranteed way to get her attention, right? So do you do you suggest that I ignore that language and just let him continue to talk like that? You can I wouldn't ignore it completely. Um you know, there's no black or white rule on these. I would recommend that the book I mentioned before the break, uh, No Drama Discipline. I think that mm-hmm. is is a great book. Hopefully both you and your husband could read it so you're also on the same page about it about dealing with uh disciplining in a way that um as the title implies reduces the drama you can let him know but you can also let him know that's not a way to get your attention so you can say it seems like you want to talk or it seems like you're angry but that's not the kind of language that we use so you show him that that's not the way to get your attention so um, you don't want to respond too strongly to it if you can keep your cool it'll actually be better so my parents think well i have to show how angry i am by what they're doing to show them how wrong it is but sometimes that's exactly what they're trying to do is get a reaction out of you it's, so it's very difficult for yeah me. Sure. i had to i had to throw him out of the house the other day i said you can't live here if you talk like that throw him this out of the our, house i literally threw him out of the house what does that did him okay i lifted him and i physically removed him out of my house and he was I said, outside you will be homeless i said you are going to yeah. be a homeless child if you continue talking okay. like this I will definitely wouldn't go there. I know I was too dramatic. <laughs> yes, that might be, that's definitely more than because for multiple reasons. One, you don't want to ever make him feel like he could lose you or lose your love, or that he actually would go out of the house. I don't think you literally would kick him out of the house, but I don't wouldn't make that threat to him at all. Um, and it just makes him feel again like we're going before the idea that he doesn't get enough positive attention. Well, when you give him that, you're sending him a message that I don't even want you. So, of course, okay. he's going to want more of your attention or want to know that you love him. And then we do create this cycle where he might think the only way he can get a reaction out of you is in a negative way. Um, but that that was a... I would even consider apologizing to him about that. Okay. N- not that what he did was okay either. So you're not saying you can use that language, but you can say, Mommy got angry. And sometimes when we get angry, we say things we don't mean. And I want you to know I would never do that. I mean, I hope you feel that way, that you would never literally kick him out of your home for good. Um, I wouldn't remove him out of the home either. So what was going on in this situation? He he said something really, really bad. Just, again, yell, he yelled out another very, like, not nice word. And I said, we don't talk like that in this house. And he looked at me, and he just did it right there again. The same word? I said... And then I, the same word. Uh-huh. And, and I said, if you do that again, you're going to, you, you cannot live in this house. Don't, don't get me upset. I will really, you're not going to be in this house anymore. I'm going to kick you out. Mm-hmm. 
and he, he said it again. Uh, he said it again. Right, because he's he's uh, you know again, and that's what you mentioned: the power struggle, power dynamic. He was in a way calling your bluff, which in a way he still did because you really literally would not kick him out of the house, and I hope he does know that. But um, you know, we don't want to make threats. Threats are usually not the way to get positive results in any type of relationship. And I can imagine you were at your wits end and didn't know what else to do. And so that, that seemed like the only option you had kind of like a nuclear option. Um, but we know that it's not going to get anywhere positive. It never, we never from a threat get to somewhere good, especially in the relationship. Uh, so he was clearly trying to push your buttons. He was trying to get your attention. And so that's yeah, why I think he... knows how to do that really well. Sure, I'm sure he smart, does. He's a very sharp kid. I'm sure, it sounds like he is, kid. yeah. And we want to encourage him for the sharpness and the being smart in the good ways and not push him to the place where he feels like he has to get our attention in these ways. But I think he's not, he's not getting enough of your attention and your positive attention and a feeling that you feel good about him. And so you're going to have to try your best to cultivate more of that with him, more positive interactions, not fake it, not, you know, he comes and uses profanity and you say, I love it when you, you know, I love your voice and you have such a beautiful voice, but to make catch sure, him being good. catch as they say, right, catch him being good exactly and, and even more of like just giving him affection and love at the times. And I, I think what's hard is, and, you, and it seems good that you are at least being aware of this and realistic, that your positive feeling towards him is less right now. And parents can feel guilty about this and we can go into this kind of idealistic mindset of like, oh, I love all my kids perfectly always and never have bad feelings. I really like some of the writings by uh, Winnicott where he even talks about it's natural for a mom even to hate their baby at some times because it's like so stressful and the baby's constantly demanding and it's so hurtful that even that strong of a feeling of hate, we don't like that word, but that type of feeling could come up. And so we have to be realistic. We can't just lie to ourselves and say, no, because he's my son, I never have a bad feeling about him. That's not true and that's not real. And it won't let you actually have as genuine of a relationship with yourself, but also with him. So these feelings are there. So I don't want you to just pretend and he'll feel it if it's fake. But we have to try to also understand better what he's going through. Your son is not doing this to bother you. I know sometimes as parents, we can feel like our kids... You know, I hear it a lot from parents. Or just, it's almost like he's trying to annoy me or he's trying to bother me. And at he, some level... He is only like this for me. If he's with my parents or with any family members or at a friend's house, he is, he's an angel. Sure. Because at he... At school, too. Yeah. And I'm, I, I know... He can control himself. I, yeah, absolutely. And it's not just about control. It's that he's mad at you. He's not mad at those people. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to be mean to someone he's not mad at. But he's mad at you. And some of it's, I want more of your love. I want you to love me. I want you to feel good about me. And I don't feel like you love me. Um, and it, it's difficult to to be a mom of three kids, as I was saying before. But we always want to, that's where we want to have that stance of curiosity. He doesn't just want to bother you to bother you. He's expressing something. He can't handle there's the feelings. Void. Exactly. There's some kind of void. There's some feeling. There's something he's trying to get. And that's why we always want to have a stance of curiosity with our kids. Okay, he, it seems like he's just trying to annoy me. And in the moment, maybe you won't be able to handle it, and that's fine. But even afterwards when you reflect, what might have been going on that it just seemed like he wanted to annoy me? And it could be, yeah, I wasn't giving him a lot of attention. The baby was taking so much of my attention, and the six-year-old needed my help with this and this and this. And he was in the other room watching TV, and maybe this feeling of loneliness was building up in him. 
will mommy even notice that I'm in the other room for this long? Does mommy even remember me? Does mommy care about me? And then unfortunately, we see the self-fulfilling prophecy where you literally told him, I don't even want you in the home. Um, so unfortunately, it confirmed that fear that he had that mommy maybe forgets me or mommy doesn't even want me. And that's something that I want you to realize, that message you gave him, that at some level there is some of that, that sometimes I think you feel like, you know what, if my older son wasn't in the home, gosh, things would be so easy. And you I actually, and I, and I made a big mistake of telling him that that same day that this, this event happened, he was at a friend's house for a few hours. And when he came back, within three minutes of being home, he was, he was, he was with a friend and he got dropped off. And I realized while he was gone, with the other two kids, it was just very relaxing, mm -hmm. no issues, no drama. Everything was just flowing nicely. No, like, it was just great. Mm -hmm. And he came in, and within three minutes, he started with the younger one. He started with the, the, the second mm -hmm. child and saying, oh, you're this, you're that, and and causing problems and jumping on top of him. And and then I snapped at him, and I said, you know what? When you were gone, everything was so nice. Yeah, but can you— And I said this to him, and then afterwards I realized I should have said that to him. Yeah, because— Think about it. I mean, how, how should he feel when he comes home after you told him you're going to be a homeless kid or you're going to be kicked out of this home? Should no, he come? No, no. This was, this was before. Before? This okay. Was be this was before. Same oh, day. Before. And okay. Before. And so that gives us, uh, that might explain what he was, what he was expressing to you later on. He was angry. He was hurt. And he was testing you. And unfortunately, not that I want to say you failed the test, but you confirmed what he was afraid of, that you don't want him. Mm -hmm. You told him in very, several ways that day. I'd rather you weren't in this home. And so this is going to need some repairing. And I don't want to blame you, but also we don't want to blame him. Oftentimes one kid will express a lot of the dysfunction in a home. So he might be expressing in this way. Your middle son might take some of it more in or express it in his own ways um, that might be easier to deal with. But we don't want to blame your older son and make him the problem. This is even sometimes when families come in, we'll say there's like an identified patient or in some ways that the identified problem is all within one kid. But we know that that child is expressing the whole dysfunction and the dynamics of the family. We don't want to put it all on that one kid. Yeah. And so I want you to recognize that too. So I think there's definitely space for repairing with him in lots of ways, including the conversations you had with him. And realizing, how do we expect him to feel right now? My mommy said she doesn't want me in the home. She literally picked me up and put me outside and said that if I keep doing these things, I'm going to be kicked out. And so you have to be ready. He might even test to that because he's so scared of it, but he might want to prove it that is this actually true? Would my mommy kick me out of my house? Would she leave me on the streets? So you might say, I can't believe it. I just told him how bad this is. And I put this fear in him. So you would think he would never do that. But he might even test you on that to say, really, mommy, would you do that? So if he does that tomorrow, you would, I would want you to come with that mindset of he might be testing that. He's so afraid that it could be true. He, he, has, he can't deal with that anxiety. He has to prove it to himself. Is it actually true or not? Mm -hmm. And he's going to be mad at you, which I can understand that he is. So his anger towards you, it's not that it's about blaming you, but it's about understanding. So if you say, gosh, he's so nice to everyone but me, and you feel like you're the victim... You have to understand that there's something going on one year as mom, so there's a different relationship and expectation he should have from you. But also, he might be hurt by things you've done, so he might be angry at you. So there's a lot more going on. And um, another thing is, 
you were talking about therapy and it could be beneficial for him at some point, but definitely I would recommend you go or you and your husband go because another part of parenting, and, and you'll see this in a lot of uh, parenting books, is the idea that if you're not okay emotionally, of course you're not going to be able to handle your kids. And right now it's it's becoming too much and it's understandable it is too much with the three kids, the way things are going, and it might be that too much of it is falling on your shoulders with your husband not being home as much. And that's too much. And you're going to take it out on your kids, whether you like it or not. And so anything you can do to make yourself more calm from exercise, meditation, yoga, but also going to therapy is going to help you be a better mother as well. So I would focus on that first before focusing on getting him in uh, and seeing that he is not the problem. He might be an expression of some problems. We don't want to make him the problem and that the other kids okay. are so easy. And there's a lot of repair to be done, but it, it's tough. Good luck. Um, I do want to give a chance to some other callers who are, who are waiting, but, um, you know. I appreciate all the great advice. Thank you I so much. I hope it was helpful. Good luck to you. Thanks it for was. calling. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, going to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Back, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Doc. Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks for calling. Yes. Um, basically, my my question is in regards to what, uh, what I was mentioning about the suicide, which three weeks ago, a 13-year-old signed up to school of my kids. And let me stop. So let me stop there for a second. I don't know if the radio is on, if we're on speaker, we're getting some kind of feedback or echo. Is it better? Yes, I, that it sounds okay. like it's gone away. Yes. Okay. So, so sorry, you start from the beginning because it was. Weeks back, yeah. It was a suicide of a 13-year-old at my son's school, and kind of surprised all of us. I hear about it, but it hit home so close. And they had some professionals that came and talked to us about the parents. And one thing that they were mentioning, it came out that it went up 63% among nine-year-olds to 17, 18-year-olds of a suicide rate, and. Mm. He was mentioning that it was due to social medias and self-esteem that is set for kids uh, at this age group, and mainly for the fact that it's happening more and more because of social media. My question was, what is your recommendation to parents like us uh, to be able to communicate self-esteem uh, in a right way with the kids, 9-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 14-year-olds, because they are at social media with we have pretty much control as much as we think we have. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I really don't know what would be the right start of a conversation with a 9 or a 10-year-old or a 14-year-old about self-esteem or how to teach them the guidelines of how to set the guidelines for self-esteem. Mm -hmm. As this professional was mentioning, a lot of, especially girls, uh, more than boys, where they're thinking snapshot followers, if they have more followers, they have less followers, they get into a point that they become extremely sad about their looks just because they don't have as followers as much as the other, and mm -hmm. they, they get to the point that they actually commit the suicide. My question is how, and for us parents, uh, how do we approach this self-esteem with that age group, and what would be our first step to communicate that with them so they can understand it at their level? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, this is, you know, you bring up a lot of uh, important and heavy topics. And, and even going back, just this bigger issue of suicide, uh, it's very unfortunate that it happened at your child's school. And it's very unfortunate we're seeing this rise. But you use this word communicate, and that's such an important thing that we also are not afraid to communicate to our kids about these uncomfortable topics. So I know that a lot of parents, they think, you know what, I don't want to mention suicide to my kids because then I give them the idea or I don't know what to say or it's uncomfortable. And so they completely ignore it, just like we do with other things like drugs and sex and uh, any other sensitive topic. But we want to show our kids that it's okay to talk about these things and it's very important to not avoid them. And that's why one of the things I try to do on this show is to talk about taboo topics so that we don't make them or keep them taboo because when we don't talk about them, the problems exist, but they just become worse. And a lot of avoidable tragedies are not avoided because we decided to avoid the topic, but then it ends up happening. So our kids should be okay and we should show them it's okay to talk about suicide, what it is, what happens. And of course, based on their age, it might affect how much detail we get into or the ways that we talk about it. But it's so important for, par for parents to show their kids from a young age that no topic is off limits. A four-year-old can ask you about sex and you don't say, no, 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 we never say that word. Maybe they heard it somewhere. You let them know, oh, you heard that. Where did you hear that word? Let's talk about it. Make it okay. Um, and also, you don't always have to have all the answers and to think that you're going to solve everything with them. Oftentimes you will say, I don't know. And oftentimes you don't have to have a right answer or a right lecture ready for them. We want to show them it's okay to talk about this because so many kids, they think maybe they're suicidal, but I can't tell my mom and dad and they'll keep it to themselves. And unfortunately might even act on it, but we want to show them it's okay to talk about that. Um, but going to this issue of self-esteem and related to social media, of course, self-esteem starts from a very young age. It's not going to be something at nine we should start thinking about it. And it's not something that we only think about it in isolation. But when we think of self-esteem, what we want to show our children and show even a baby is that they have value. It actually relates to the caller I was just talking to. You have value just like every human being has value just for being you. Every human being is worthy of love and respect. And we love you for being you, not because you're beautiful, not because you got an A, not because of any kind of performance, not even because you're nice to me. I'm going to love you no matter what. Even if you behave poorly, I will still love you. I might not like the things you're doing and I'll talk to you about those things, but your love and your value does not go up and down based on these things. And unfortunately, as you mentioned with social media, looks become so important because likes become so important. How many likes and followers you have in, in a way can define your worth. You have... 10,000 followers, someone has 1,000, that 10,000 is somehow better than that 1,000. And so as parents, you can have direct conversations about these things, but even more important is the way you make your children feel valued as human beings. And this is why even it's not good to praise your kids too much for things that they are doing or ways that they look. A lot of parents will just tell their kids, you're so beautiful, you're so cute, you're so handsome, you're so this, you're so this. And they think it's so good. But we have to be aware of the message we also send our kids. And especially you mentioned something about girls. It definitely can be more for girls. If you tell them, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, I love you, you're so beautiful, you're reinforcing this idea that their value comes from their looks. 
their value comes from being uh, liked physically. If they're physically attractive, good. They're lovable. If they're not, maybe you're not so lovable. And so we have to be aware of even these indirect messages we give our kids about what their value is or why we value them. And it should be that we value you for being you. You got an A, your brother got an F. We don't love you more than your brother because you got an A, your brother got an F. We love both of you. And if your brother got an F, we're going to see what happened that he got an F because we want him to do good for himself because it feels good to work hard and to do good things, but not we love you more or less because of your grades. And your value doesn't come from any performance or from any uh, physical appearance or anything like that. And so that's the bigger issue is, is that. Now, also related to social media, uh, I'm very big on privacy and giving your kids space even from a young age. But not that you snoop on them, but you can have conversations with them about because the internet does expose you, first of all, to really the whole world. Even if you try to put parental controls and things, we know that usually the kids are going to be a step ahead of us anyway. Um, but just you have exposure to lots of people. And sometimes there can be not so good people. It's not to instill paranoia in your kids, but just to let them know because of that, I'm going to keep um, an eye or I might every so often check your social media or check your texts, depending on the age. And make it so it's something they understand. So it's not that I want to be nosy. And if you do this, not that you go and you say, oh, I saw you told Billy this and you should have told Billy this in that way. No, it's not about you getting in there into the weeds and giving them advice and judging everything they do. But it's that I just want to make sure what's going on. Because, yes, cyberbullying is a very real thing. And a lot of times these kids are getting these horrible messages, sometimes from people they don't even know, but sometimes from people they do know. Uh, and it can push them, unfortunately, into these bad directions. So uh, we want to give them their space and their privacy to an extent. But because we're putting them out there in this world, in the cyber world, where everything is there and they can either be exposed to things they see that are not okay or people can approach them that might not be okay, uh, it's important for parents to keep an eye on their children's use online. Correct. And you touched up on the second question I was going to ask about talking to them about the suicide. Mm -hmm. At what level would you communicate for a 9-year-old or 10-year-old or even 14-year-old? To what level do you think is appropriate to talk to them? Um, yeah. About, you know, if they start asking what was that around his neck? What was that that he did? Well, how did he do it? I mean, is that something I, I didn't think it would be good to get into anything yeah. other than you know, he made the wrong decision or there were situations and the communication is important. I really didn't know past that. What should we communicate with? What yeah, so the one thing, you know, um, when it comes to the means, people, gen unfortunately, not unfortunate, it's an, it could be a natural curiosity. You find out someone killed themselves. Most people want to know how, uh, what means, whether in your adult or a kid, it just... We can be curious about that. Curiosity can be natural. But what they find is actually in media reports, when they do get into the details, that can actually lead to more likely that people do copycats or, or uh, respond in a similar way. So you don't have to get too much into the details of the how. Okay, if you, for example, I wouldn't even, you know, you said something about what was that around his neck, but into how the person took their own life into the details of it. Um, that part you can understand. I know you know you maybe you're curious about those things, but I don't want to talk too much about that part. But about suicide itself, as I mentioned before, it's something that we definitely don't want to avoid or tell our kids it's off limits to talk about. 
and yeah. you can talk about it. and it does depend on the age to a degree um, but that sometimes when people get very 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 sad or in a way their mind really doesn't know how to handle what's going on unfortunately they they sometimes will make that decision uh, and you could tell them there's always things we can do to help us and, and getting into even issues of when you're really sad, sometimes we feel like the world is always going to be sad and have bigger conversations with our kids of you might remember a time when you were sad. And if you can think of an example, you can explore it with them. But say, remember how later on you felt good or now you feel OK? That's how our feelings are. Sometimes we can feel really down. And when we're feeling really down, we think we're always going to feel down. But our feelings come and they go. Just like right now, you're feeling okay. Later on, you might feel sad, and that's okay. And then you'll feel okay again later on. And so it, it brings up a whole lot of bigger conversations. It's suicide, but then it's also about our feelings. How do we deal with our feelings? Um, is it okay to feel sad? Because we have to be careful not to tell them, well, when you're sad, you might be suicidal, because then they think sad is a bad thing. And I'm a big uh, proponent of this concept that sadness is something that we shouldn't be afraid of and it's okay but sometimes yeah. when we give our kids this um idea that sadness is so bad because of how we respond to it oh you're sad stop crying it's okay it's okay we're going to try to fix the problem we give them this uh internalization of sadness as this bad thing and that sometimes leads to us making bad decisions when we do have those feelings whether it's drugs or alcohol or something else or feeling like this feeling is so intolerable i should just end my life and so it's so critical to talk to kids about these things in a way and not to think of suicide. Let's say it happens at your kid's school or they talk about it at their school as a one conversation, as a one off, as opening up a discussion and a dialogue about mental health, about all these issues that you will continue to have with your kids as they grow and they encounter different things and different questions and, and concepts come to their attention. Correct. And my last question I will ask, and I will let you explain, according to your professional opinion, what do you think about this video games and opportunity for kids to play hourly, or what would be your recommendation for allowance? Uh, about video games? You know, so if I know you wanted to, it sounds like you wanted to get off the air, but we're going to, we're at a commercial break, and I want to, this is since a different topic, let me put you on hold, let's talk after the break, okay? You got it, thank you. All right, you. thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. All right. And so I, I know you wanted to get into the video game topic, but I, I, I'm glad you brought up the issue before about suicide and self-esteem and all these issues. And to the parents out there, I hope they really take to heart what I was saying, that we want to make sure our kids feel like it's okay to talk about anything. We have to even sometimes yeah. bring up these uncomfortable topics with them, um, not to push it on them. If they're not ready to talk about it, don't force them to, but especially to show them Anything is okay to talk about. As a parent, your role isn't to have all the answers, but to always be available. That's what's important. You're not going to know everything you can't. No one wants you to, and your kids don't need you to. But they need to feel that they can talk to you about anything. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but I do want to give us this last 10 Thank minutes you. or so. You mentioned uh, video games. So first tell me what your it's going on for you with your kids, um, but then we so can talk about that a little more. What, what we noticed is, the more time they put on it, the less they 
of course they they're great are starting to go down at the same time personality and attitude change mm-hmm. and the more restricted we did basically to just weekends things started happening with the good good terms so mm-hmm. my question was if we pressure them as far as saying okay let's say we keep you at the weekend rate for just using the video games would that affect come back later and affect them in a way that they're like they were pushed not to use it as they get older become 18 19 that we don't have any more restriction on them would it have a negative effect on them is what we're doing a positive thing because as of now definitely makes a huge difference on their mm-hmm. the way they speak the way they talk their personality um of course the more they play video games they get frustrated of course if they lose or if they're mm-hmm. not as good in different levels so i figured they get really angry and and that's where we had to talk with them and we did change them and it's giving us positive results as of now Mm -hmm. but my worry was what is your opinion about what would happen or is this the right approach yeah so obviously anything like this it's complicated there's not going to be one solution and you mentioned something before the break of a specific amount of hours that's okay or not okay and related to what you're saying of are they going to later on react to this or rebel to this once they have more freedom is that we don't want to make it a battle between freedom and, um, you know, lack of freedom where we don't want to force them to do something. We want to work with them. So even when it comes to making the rules, whatever it is from bedtime to, to video games, we want to make the rules with our kids, not for them and then impose it as if we are, the authority and they are um, our prisoners. Of course, there is a basic level of authority you have as parents that you have to maintain in establishing the boundaries, but we don't want to emphasize that, that look, this is your rule, you have to follow it. Even if we think it's good for them, we want to work with them. So I would have a conversation with your kids about this, about exploring what's going on. And understand they enjoy playing video games. It is fun. They make them fun for a reason. People don't spend money because they're boring or because they hate them, they're fun. But setting limits is important just to, to function in life. We have to do it even as adults, of course. And we at times have to help our kids by setting limits or helping them set the limits. So to help prevent this uh, fear that you have from coming true that later on they're going to react in some way or blame you for not letting them play or um, rebel by playing even more to make up for this lost time or because they lost this control in their life is to not take away the control they have and to talk to them about it and and be aware that of course your mindset is they shouldn't play that much and you're going to be very biased in that way but see if you can have a conversation with them to see them that, that they can see the benefits that it had and that it can be good to put limits on these things because it's hard to stop you can even um, you know, empathize with them. I see how much fun you have when you play, and that's why you can play for six hours in a row because it's so fun. I get it. You really love that game. Um, but we know that sometimes if we play six hours in a row, then we don't have enough time for homework or we don't have enough time for sleep or whatever else it might be, and that's why we want to, uh, you know, help you play less. So it's not that you don't want them to have fun or you don't like that they enjoy it. It's that you see that it can have a negative effect when it becomes too much, And things like video games, it's in a way like a drug. It's hard to stop ourselves once we start or without limits. So I would create conversations with them about setting the limits rather than imposing them from above. And 
that I agree with you. Have you guys tried that? We have. Okay. And every time, every time that we have started this, and when their grades go up and their personality, and we always positively enforce the fact that look how things are really good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want them to learn that you know the the more they do this is more beneficial to them. But it is it is getting very difficult and it's becoming a challenging for most parents that I'm talking sure. to. So this is this is a very new and surprising phenomenon that is coming along and most parents that I'm talking to they're very confused or not enough information on how to handle. Yeah, and actually a few people messaged me over the uh, on Monday about talking about video game addiction and um I was going to actually talk about it on a show sometime soon. Although, you know, video games have been around since I was a kid or even before that. Um, so parents have been dealing with this, but it's becoming more common. And I think sometimes parents can feel this competition of, well, I want to buy the best video games or the most expensive system for my kids also. Um, but then the bigger challenge becomes setting the limits. And so we set limits not because we don't like our kids to have a good time, as I was saying before. It's because we know that we, we need help, just like a bedtime. We don't have a bedtime yeah. for our kids because we like to tell them go to sleep because that's fun. It's that we know that having enough sleep is important for their growth, their development, so they feel good the next day, so they're not as yeah. moody, all those things. And that's why we want to communicate that to the kids. And we have to make sure they're with us because it seems like with your kids, are you saying they're, they agree with you that it's good to put the limits or it's, it's still a battle? They do. Okay. They do. Thank, thank God so far... You know, we're in a situation where they understand, they understand. But as a kid, especially the younger one, he honestly, when he gets into it, he doesn't have a turn-off switch. Yeah. And it's very hard for him to manage that turn-off switch. Mm-hmm. And so we have to help him with that. Yes. Right? So, and But not in a punishing way, not in to make him feel bad about it. And just, again, saying that it's so fun that sometimes when you're playing, you can get lost in how much time it's taking. And that's why yeah. I'm gonna we're going to help you. And we can come up with these ways of setting the limits. So it's making sure we don't make them feel bad about it. It's yeah, we get it. It's a fun game, and we see. And you can even watch them play sometimes to, sh- to show that you you and you can see how fun it is. Um, but that they're obviously going to need some help. The younger they are, they might need more help with setting limits. But that's a good thing to help teach them so that they can do that, internalize that more and more. That we set limits on ourselves, even not because we dislike ourselves. We don't want to have fun. But we know that it's good for ourselves if we, you know, even as adults, we have hard times with this, right? So it's keeping that in mind, too, that it's not just kids that have a hard time uh, with setting limits or following them. As adults, most of us have lots of things we wish we did or wish we did less, and we have a hard time with it. So we want to have that uh, understanding and compassion for our kids, too, that it's tough. Yeah, you start playing the video game, I get it. It's You don't want to stop. It's so fun. It's way more fun than doing homework, so I can understand you don't want to stop and do homework. And so that's why sometimes it's better if we do our homework first and then play the video game or whatever else you come up with, but with them. So it seems like you're trying to do that, but keep it as a conversation because it seems like the way you're talking about it, you're almost worried that it's going to get to a breaking point. And so that's why we want to keep it as a conversation, that it's not like something is set in stone. And sometimes limits can change. Over the summer, maybe they play a little bit more or over spring break. Maybe not. You know, there's there's things you can talk about. Um, but as far as a certain amount of time, for me, it's always that as long as everything stays in order, as far as, you know, their grades are okay, they have enough time for socializing. Of course, I know sometimes they socialize through the video games, but even that we have to be aware of the good and bad of it. But as long as there's balance in their life and then they also play video games, it's not that it's a bad thing. 
um, but it's just making sure things stay in balance. And we want to help them, again, keep that balance because it can be hard to do with things like video games, which can be very addictive, just like even if it's not video games, their phones can be addictive, right? And so we don't set a limit on that because we want to tell them phones are bad, but because it's hard to stop. The phone companies and these apps, they program in a way that they make it addictive. They don't they don't want us to stop using them. And so sometimes we need some support. And so you're there to help support them, set those limits that are good for them. And it's always keeping that communication so that it's not that we're the parents and our job is to, you know, it's like prisoners and the, the guards. It's not that type of a dynamic. We're in a way working together. And our job is always to help you and love you. And if we set any limits to know that it's not because we're trying to be mean or harsh, but we're trying to work with you to do what's best, but we want to make sure you get that too. We can't make that decision for you. We want you to get it also. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. And that was very informative. Thanks so much. Sure. Thanks for calling. I really appreciate that topic you brought up. There's a good chance. I mean, the video games also, but uh, I had a psychologist on once to talk about how to talk to your kids about suicide because it is such a delicate topic but it's such an important one so thank you for bringing that up today yeah and and i mentioned to you it's, it's such a unknown uh zone that yes. all parents are going through mm-hmm. and it's getting worse and worse yep. and especially with social media so if you have any kind of program sure. i appreciate it when we're listening if you guys can promote it so we can learn it ourselves or send our kids okay you know, I, I don't even mind having you know, seminars for kids to go and learn about mm-hmm. all or, or kids with their parents. But yeah, yeah, I'll definitely keep yeah. that in mind. Thank you for that Thank suggestion. So and thanks for the call. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Farouda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delakwi. Have a wonderful day. 